found myself thinking this morning, both in the, the middle service and again just a few moments ago as the praise band and, and Katie sang that song you know, that, that testified to, to the presence of God. It, it spoke to this promise of God's presence with us in, in the variety of the circumstances of life and the hardships of life that we sometimes find ourselves in. And, uh, but I don't know how often you've, you've thought deeply about that image, that moment, if you will, of, of actually standing in the presence of God. But, but it would be interesting if we had a chance to sit and actually talk about it. What kind of emotions that stirs within you if you really thought and reflected on what it will be like and what it, what it will mean to one day stand in the presence of God. I wonder what that stirs within you. For some, I know it is, it is a hope. It is a joy. Um, but for others, I think if we're honest, there might be a little anxiety attached to that. And maybe some of both. I mean, to stand in the presence of God, to stand in, in, in the one who is created of all things, or creator of all things and over all things, to stand in that holy presence, uh, that, that for some, and maybe for you, and maybe even for me, has an element of a, a little bit of intimidation, maybe even a little frightening to think about. I don't know. But I know that that emotion is not uncommon. And, and over the years, in human behavior, we've seen that lived out in some bizarre ways. And I came across one of those kind of bizarre stories this week. And it, it's about a man by the name of Peter Slyhoff. Now, Peter Slyhoff died a long time ago. But in fact, he died in, in 1867. In fact, I have a picture of his tombstone. Uh, Joe, if you don't mind pulling that's that's Richard Slyhoff's tombstone. He's buried in Brooksville, Pennsylvania, if some of you are from that part of the country you know that area. And there's nothing really um, out of the ordinary about his, his tombstone, but his story is uh, Richard Slyhoff um, lived a very fast and wild life. Um, you know, wine, women, that kind of pursuits, whatever he wanted. There was no, as by his own ad- admission, there was, no, there was no sense of a moral code. There was no sense of a faith code. He did what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. And, um, and that life and that kind of life took, took its toll on him. And in fact, I don't know, you can't really read it all that well because there's a leaf in front of it. But, but if you could, it, it says died 43, age 43. So he died um, young. The older I get, the younger that sounds. And um, he, died, he died young. And as he was coming toward the end of his life, he knew he was dying. He started to really wrestle with that question that I kind of shared with you. What's it going to be like to, to be in the presence of, of God, the, the one who judges all things? And that was this image of God as this righteous judge. And, and that kind of anxiety and fear for some does lead to faith, um, the, the deathbed kind of confessions. But that's not this story. He still was unrepentant of his lifestyle. So he figured, if I know that I'm... Um, fearful of standing in the presence of God, maybe I can hide from the presence of God. And so he did something we would consider a little silly, but, but 
revealing, maybe is the better word. Um, Joe, go ahead and put up the, the next picture. This is his graveside. Now, what you see in the, the background is this big rock formation. And he was familiar with this big rock formation. And he was familiar with the fact that this big rock formation was a little tenuous, was a little uncertain, unsteady. So he made provisions that, that when he died, his grave would be as close to the base of that rock formation as possible. So that on the day of judgment, I am not making this up, on the day of judgment when the earth shook in the judgment of God, that rock formation would topple over and he could hide from God. Or from Satan, depending on who, you know, as, as the story goes, but hide from judgment. Now we kind of giggle and we laugh and we think that is silly and it, and it really is, but it's also very revealing of his concept of, of who God is. Now, now, here's the second part of the story that I think is equally fascinating. In the years since he's died, this is a recent picture, that rock formation has actually moved further away from his graveside. <laughs> now, I, you know, geologists, those of you that understand how that works, I don't, but there was old black and white pictures of when he was buried, the graveside. It was actually much closer to the rock formation. That's a whole different story and lesson there. But it's interesting that that's gotten further away, that inability to, to hide from God. But, but when I hear that, what, I, what it reveals to me is, is somebody who had a very fearful concept, a very, uh, very um, frightened understanding of, of who God is. And, and I wonder what ours is and and would be. And so Peter wants to, I'm sorry, Peter, Paul wants to kind of flush out our understanding of God a little bit. Wants to maybe broaden the picture of what he believed the, the people of his day might, how they might have understood God, and, and how we understand God and God's invitation to us. And so I turn to, if you were here last week, we were in Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of the faith. We're now in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're kind of coming to the end of this letter that Paul writes. But this is what we read. Pick it up at verse 18. It says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. 
Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God accept, acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. God, that we would come to you accept, acceptably that our worship, our prayer, our praises would honor you and that you'd speak in these moments. Speak to our hearts, speak through the words that are shared, inspired by your Holy Spirit, and may all of this time together deepen us in our faith and our walk with you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. So the, the, the last verses I read really become the foundational verses for my, my thoughts this morning. And specifically verse 28. When Paul says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And this image of this, this kingdom, this sure kingdom that cannot be shaken, that, that he kind of do, does this image that the voice of God will shake the heavens and the earth and all those things that are unsteady, uncertain, will give way to that which is unshakable. And uh, E. Stanley Jones years ago wrote a book called The Unshakable Kingdom. And this is the verse that he took that from, that, that, the, that the certain thing that remains, and, and it's this invitation to something that is true and certain. And, and at the, the heart of that, I think the, the foundation of Paul's invitation is a recognition that this is so important to us because life is so full of uncertainty. Life is so full of, of ground that often gives way right underneath our feet. The experiences of the earthquake. How many of you have ever experienced an earthquake? Anybody? Okay, a few of you have. And it's been about the same percentage at each service. It's, you wouldn't expect it to be particularly high in Florida because as I've learned, Florida is tied for number one in the U.S. with the least amount of earthquakes. We have the least impact. We are tied with one other state. Anybody want to guess what the other state is? Nor no. Good, good guess, though. North Dakota. If you are deathly afraid of earthquakes, then you can either live in North Dakota or Florida. And because we have... So, so a lot of us, I've never experienced that kind of, a, of an earthquake, feeling the, the earth um, rumble underneath. I was thinking probably for us in, in Florida, the, the closest an, uh, analogy I can think of is sinkholes, right? I mean, if you've seen the news this week, you, you see the sinkholes that have opened up in Hudson. That's right where I used to live, David and I. I mean, it's, it's in the neighborhood that we used to ride our bikes through, that, um, that those sinkholes, but that's kind of a more, maybe it's not a, an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but it's this image of of kind of the ground underneath us giving way. Something that we thought was solid and sure that, that no longer seems to be that. And the reality is I, I think that, that we've experienced earthquakes more than we immediately recognize or at least more than we assume because we think of it in a physical reality. Um, but it can also be a spiritual and an emotional reality too. This, this experience of, of earthquakes. I was driving to the hospital recently on a Friday afternoon. Normally Fridays are, are my day off, but because I'd had to shuffle my schedule around a little bit, 
I was going to the hospitals on, on Friday, and, and as I was driving, um, my son Ryan called. Many of you know Ryan. Ryan's uh, in Tennessee and in college, and so he called and just happened to catch me on the drive there, and so he was on Bluetooth. I wasn't holding my phone because I want to respect the law, um, but I was talking to him, and, and I said to him, you know, he was sharing with me what he was doing, and he's like, Dad, what are you doing? And I said, well, I said, I'm, I'm going to the hospitals. I, uh, I hadn't planned on going to the hospitals today, but I'm going to the hospitals. But I hadn't planned on it. And uh, he got quiet for a moment. And he said, well, Dad, he's like, I'll bet the people you're going to see, they hadn't planned on it either. <laughs> and... Uh, It was a significant moment for me. I wasn't complaining. No, don't misunderstand me. But it was, it was an ah, ah, duh moment, you know. Yeah, of course. But, but I started to, to think a little bit about that. It was true. The people that I, I was going to see, some of them, um, that morning had gotten up thinking it was just another day ready to go about their activities just like we would on any day. But, but their day had changed. Something had shifted underneath their feet, so they found themselves in a hospital or they found themselves in a place where they didn't expect to be. And, and we can probably at some level identify with that, that all of a sudden hooked up to machines or, or blood pressure um, readers or IV drips or whatever it is because they'd had an earthquake. The, 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 the ground underneath their feet had shifted. And... and we, we can identify with that. Maybe not you personally, but, but when someone we love experiences health crisis or those kind of moments, that's an earthquake. When we lose people that we love, people that have meant and changed and been an important part of your life, parents or spouses or, heaven forbid, children, that's, that's an earthquake. We, we know those kind of experiences. When, when our financial situations, our job situation, our, our life situations change, earthquake. When relationships crumble that we had believed were on solid ground, that were, were meaningful and significant relationships in our lives, friendships or, or relationships with family or, or marriages. I can't tell you the number of times I've sat with people, uh, a, a wife or husband who whose marriage is falling apart, and they just never saw it coming. They thought that they were on a solid foundation. Something shifted. You know, earthquake, because that's life experience. You know, interestingly enough, it's kind of a side note, but I don't know if you're familiar with Lloyd's of London. Lloyd's of London are insurers. They insure everything. They will insure, you know, against acts of God. You know, that's what they call acts of God. It was talking about California. You know, that's probably, I wasn't talking about California, but if you had an earthquake, that's probably where you'd expect to be. That's what I always think about with California. And um, I, there was a newscaster years ago who was talking about how in California they get earthquakes and they get wildfires and they get floods. And he said, we are like, we are like act of God theme park, you know, in California. And, and Lloyds of London will, they will insure against all of that. They will insure body parts, pianists insuring their fingers, athletes insuring their knees, um, 
you know, um, models ensuring their looks. I don't even know how you do that, but they'll do it. My point is they will insure anything. But you know the one thing that Lloyd's of London will not write an insurance policy for? Marriage. They will not insure a marriage. They'll insure the ceremony, making sure the caterer shows up, and they won't insure a marriage. Because human nature is what it is. And relationships can crumble so quickly, even they won't write a policy for that. Here's, here's my point. If I said to you now, how many have you ever experienced an earthquake? I'll bet you a number of hands would go up that didn't a few minutes ago. Because we have. We have, but just in a different sense. And, and it's those moments in life when it just, the, the ground gives way. And we find ourselves in a fall. And, and what do we do? Well, what we do physically, what, what our natural imp, impulse is, is also our spiritual and emotional one. Our natural impulse to, to when we fall. Case in point, this weekend, I'm in the garage at, at the parsonage. And, and that's where I, I have a lot of some of my, well, not a lot, but some of my exercise equipment. And so I'm in there and I'm, I'm exercising and I have an adjustable bench. Uh, and I had laid it flat so that I, I could use it for something and I could sit on it to record what I was doing on my phone. And so I had it flat and I sat down on it. What I didn't realize is that when I'd laid it flat, the pin hadn't caught. And so it didn't happen right away. It didn't happen the moment I sat down. No, it was even better than that. I, I was sitting there for a few seconds and then all of a sudden it gave way. And it went from a flat bench to a decline bench. And I went from sitting on solid ground to in a free fall. And this is what happened. I just, the phone went. The phone went, and I instinctively reached out for something to steady the fall. Now, what's funny about it, there was nothing there. It would have been a great video because I'm literally reaching for air. I'm just reaching for anything that I can to try to stop the fall. And eventually, I did stop the fall with my shoulder, but it's all good. Um, but, but my point is that, that, that we know that. You, you've, we've all stumbled and fallen, right? We've all fallen where you, you reach out for something or somebody to, to break or to stop the fall. Well, that's, that's what we do emotionally. That's what we do spiritually. When we find ourselves, we reach out for something to, that, that we believe is going to, to steady us. And sometimes those things are destructive. Sometimes our human impulse is to, to reach out for... for um, substances, alcohol or drugs, that we believe are going to numb the pain. And, and maybe you've been in that journey or with somebody in that journey. And, and that ultimately exacerbates the, the unsteadiness, if you will. Sometimes we reach out for friends, and that can be very healthy. Not always, though. Friends can give wonderful advice. Friends can be very supportive. Sometimes friends can, even in well-meaning can give really bad advice or can inadvertently kind of undermine your own confidence. You want a case of that? Go read Job in the Old Testament. whole book about that. Or we may go to a counselor. Always recommend counseling. Counselors are just a blessing and a gift. And, and so we may go for that route. And, and, and I wouldn't discourage that in the slightest. But, but what God's word says to us, what God's invitation to us is all of those things may, well, not all of those things, some of those things may have their place. But the most sure foundation, the most steady thing that we can reach for in those moments is faith. Is faith. 
is the unshakable kingdom of God. Because Paul wants us to understand something about the very nature of God. See, see, he wants to complete a picture. And so the first verses that I read there in Hebrews 12, and I, like I said, I picked it up midstream. But Paul, who's been talking about the, the heroes of faith, and he's been talking about the history of faith, he goes back to Moses. And, and he reminds the people of Moses and his encounter with God on Mount Sinai, this holy place where God gives the Ten Commandments, this holy place where Moses, on behalf of the people, communes with God. But if you go back and read that in those accounts in, um, in Exodus, you read that it was terrifying to Moses. He was scared to death to be in the presence of God. Again, back to that opening question. Because God inspired awe and wonder. God as the omnipotent creator of all things. To be in God's presence was to be at great risk. Because to be in the presence of holiness when we are inherently unholy was beyond comprehension. And so even animals that wandered into the presence of God uninvited suffered the consequences it was terrifying and that's the last words the sight was so terrifying to Moses that Moses said I am trembling with fear it's this reverence and this this awe of the holiness of God now now that's that is important there ought to be reverence for God God's not our buddy God loves us we'll talk about that but but we're not like on an equal footing we are to, to worship God. And so, so there is an, this important, there, there's healthy fear, if you will. And, and there is this God who disciplines his children. Paul talks about that in the verses before I, I read this morning, this, this God of discipline. But, but what Paul wants to do is he wants us to understand the complete picture of who God is, this complete picture that Jesus came to show us. And that is not a God that we approach with fear, but a God that we approach with joy. And so he says, yes, you've heard about this. This is the experience. This is what the people thought about God when they approached him on Mount Sinai. But this is what he goes on to write. I want to read it again. But you have not come, but you have come, sorry, to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come up on thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You've come to them in joyful assembly. You've come to the God who's judge of all and the spirits of the righteous who've been made perfect and you come by the power of Jesus who's the mediator of the new covenant sprinkled with a blood that is better than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel was the blood of judgment but the blood of Jesus is the blood of righteousness. It's the blood that, that reminds us of God, who's God's very character, God's very nature. And so God invites us to have this full understanding of who he is. Because when we have a limited picture of God, a limited understanding of God, our ground becomes even more unsteady. And we miss the opportunity that God invites us into. If we go back to Peter Slyhoff, that I talked about at the beginning, he had faith. He just had an incomplete picture of God. He knew a God of judgment, a God who was going to hold him accountable for all the sins and all the wrongs of his life. So rather than confess and recognize that there was also a God of grace, he wanted to hide. But I wonder if he understood the complete picture of God. If he understood a God as Jesus tells us about, a God who, who welcomes a prodigal son home. Remember when, in the parable when Jesus says that when the prodigal son was coming home, the son who had made every mistake, the son who had screwed up in every way possible, had blown it in every decision he had made, that when the father sees the son, he runs out to welcome him home. 
doesn't excuse the behavior, but he welcomes him with joy back into the relationship. See, that's the complete picture of God. Somebody like a Peter Slyhoff, they miss that. Sometimes we miss it. And when we do, we miss the kingdom of joy that God invites us into. We miss this unshakable kingdom that says that when everything else gives way, when, when the friends give bad advice, when the substance doesn't numb the pain, even when the counselor or the pastor gives poor advice, you can count on the unshakable kingdom of faith. That's what God invites us to. And when everything gives way, and it will from time to time, not everything, but life gives us in unsteady places, we come to that which we know is certain. And that's God's invitation in love to us. Because it's the very character of God and it's the gift of the cross. Philip Yancey wrote a book years ago called Reaching for the Invisible God. And in it, he talked about his father-in-law who had been a Bible teacher. And later in his life, his father-in-law suffered some very devastating illness. And on top of that, his daughter was suffering life-threatening illness. And he began to question everything he'd ever taught. And finally, he wrote a letter to his family. And he, he confessed that he's like, I've questioned so much of what I once held sure but there are three things I know that are true. There are three things I know that are, if you'll allow me to use the language, unshakable. And this is what they are. One, life is difficult. But two, God is merciful. And heaven is sure. Life is difficult. We've talked about that. But God is merciful. God is good. God is good. And heaven is sure. How can we hold on to that as the promise? Because it's the character of God. It's that father greeting the son. As I said, Paul writes, or, or the, the writer of Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, or 1 Peter 1, 5, or 1 Peter 5, 7. He says this. He says, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. That's the character of God and, and the gift of the cross is that a price has been paid for sin. Sin does have consequence, but Jesus paid it so that we can come with joy into the presence of God. The psalmist in the 37th Psalm says he places our feet on firm ground. Firm ground. He says even though we stumble, we will not fall. As we are lifted by the hand of God. We are caught, we are protected, whatever image you want to use, by the hand of God. That's the unshakable promise God invites us to. Other things will pass away, but that is constant and sure. That is the promise that we can hold on to. The ground may be shaken for you right now. And if it's not, I don't mean this to be a pessimist, but someday it will. It will. It's the journey. But hold on to this. Life is difficult, but God is merciful, and heaven is sure. Let that be the foundation of God's promise of an unshakable kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, we come humbly before you, thankfully before you, that you give us this promise of faith, that when everything else is crumbling, you are certain. You are sure. Our foundation is secure in you. Let that be the, the, the basis of our faith, the unshakable kingdom that we have been invited into. And may that be where we reach for you and for your strength in those moments. 
This is our prayer, and we ask it in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.